Welcome to another episode of Terrell Paranormal Talk, where we discuss all things supernatural, weird, and unexplained. Join us for discussions on UFOs, ghost stories, paranormal investigations, strange monster sightings, psychic skills, and places of high strangeness. I'll leave you to one of our esteemed investigators hosting today, and perhaps you will leave a little wiser and a little closer to having your curiosity satisfied. We hope you enjoy today's show. Hey there, everybody. Brandon Newby here from Terrell Paranormal Talk. And as always, I am accompanied by the hostess with the mostest, Mary <laughs> Jo. And we have a guest with us today. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the Coast Guard and his experiences in it with some UAP slash UFO sightings, whatever your word of the day is to describe flying saucers, because they'll always be flying saucers to me. Um, so with that said, I do want to do, oh, you want to say hey, Mary Jo? Yes, hello. Glad to be here. Sorry, I don't let her... I don't let her get a word in edgewise. She doesn't let me talk much. (laughs) So, um, real quick, I want to update you on the UAP news before we go over to our guest. And um, that is just to simply say that we had an interesting uh, revelation or an interesting um, update a couple weeks ago that we've not spoken about. And I wanted to speak about it briefly. The... Our yes. House Oversight Committee had an opportunity to meet with the inspectors general. Those are the men and women that speak to the whistleblowers. And just for the record, I want to state that if you lie to an inspector general or you file a, file a false report as a whistleblower, it is a five-year jail sentence and or a $10,000 fine. So people don't usually make stories up when they're going to see the Inspector General. It's pretty serious business. Anyhow, this meeting was held in the SCIF, and all that we can... uh, The SCIF being a secure compartmentalized information facility. I think. Do I have that right, Mary Jo? You know, you can't take your Fitbit in. You can't take your phone in. Any notes that you take while you're in there are immediately shredded. You can't take them outside. Um, And it's basically where the most top classified and compartmentalized information is communicated, um, is in a skiff. So that tells us something about this meeting right here. It was top secret and compartmentalized. And all we can say is that when the House Oversight Committee came out, both parties, bipartisan, were saying that they do indeed believe David And David Gruff is saying everything that we have understood and been told was conspiracy about UFOs is pretty on the mark. And there's dozens of craft and biological non-human entities. They agreed. Uh, I saw interview uh, just as they were coming out, just a, you know, brief statement, three different congressmen. It was all. All similar. I, I, I believe David Grush. There you have it, folks. Spoken from the horse's mouth. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and introduce our guest. Hello, how are you? 
Hello, I'm Klein. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your service? Well, I was uh, in the Coast Guard for 23 years. Eight years of that were spent aboard cutters. Uh, others were at search and rescue stations, inland in Southeast Asia. One of the uh, most interesting sites I saw, though, in regards to our topic today, yes, occurred, occurred uh, actually in the spring of 1966. Okay. It, uh, it was on... Um, Mustang Island in a town called Fort Aransas. That's right out of Texas, coast. correct? Right off Are the you? coast. That's right off the Gulf Coast, that's right off coast. Texas, correct? That's correct. Approximately 30 miles southwest of Corpus Christi. Okay. And uh, I was stationed aboard the search and rescue station. And uh, that particular evening, I was the officer in command, and as the afternoon was waning, it was going into uh, in the evening hours, uh, a lot of the work was done with the shrimp boats that worked in that area, and at this particular time, about 10 miles off the coast, uh, there was a small fleet, loose fleet of uh, stripping boats, um, which had hit a pretty good catch of it, and they were kind of working in tantrum, tantrum but all of a sudden they began uh, screaming and hollering on the radios that they needed assistance. They said that they were being buzzed by something from the sky. At our station, we were about 10 miles away distance from you. The boats that the our station, if you walk out on the second level and look their way, you could actually see a loose group of four to five objects in the sky. They were darting very quickly up and down, and they would get down almost to the mass of the certain boats and then dart off and they would not stay stationary at any given time. So uh, we got in radio contact with them, and I wanted to uh, alert more people in the crew to see the siding before we got fully involved. And I got this many people in touch with the watch sessions possible in the porch. There were uh, 10 or 12 of us that uh, saw the same incident. We dispatched a 40-foot uh, fast boat to go out to, go out to that area. The objects in the sky would quickly dart down, dart up, they would fade away like you see on TV on the space shows, they would just be sucked right into space, then return again. We could tell their coloring by the uh, within our distance in the air, and it, they were round, basically some type of board, um, and it was uh, separated into 
three different colors, and all of the colors were very pastel. Uh, there was a pastel green, a pastel orange, and a pastel pink. Now, when you say that, can I ask, was this a nighttime sighting or a daytime sighting? Were you describing like a light or um, like a shiny surface? It was twilight, deep twilight. Okay. And um, we, could, we could tell the coloring, but we did not tell. We had a conversation later on whether or not they were spinning or whether they were stationary, we really couldn't decide, but uh, there were five or six boats out there, and five or six boats were being buzzed. By these four to five objects? Yes, yes, and uh, finally they messed around and messed around, and just before our fresh boat got to their position, they all rapidly faded away into space. And they just faded, almost like disappeared into... They disappeared, just... Just... They sucked up, they just sucked up into the sky from... Wow. From being all, from being small, they just disappeared into space. Wow. Like quickly, quickly uh, rapidly uh, disappearing. And this whole incident took place within a period of uh, 15 minutes. I was wondering. Yeah, and then and then they were gone, but they were all clearly seen. Fort Aransas and the fishermen uh, work out of there are not uncommon to um, a UFO or a, a UAP sightings. It happens occasionally in the island. I hear that the Gulf of Mexico is quite busy with reports. At that time, particularly, we, we're talking 1966 now. So. Did you have conversations with some of the fishermen about the incident? We, uh, in the Coast Guard, at that time, we had what was called a PADI report, P-A-D-D-I-E, and it was... Uh, set up specifically for unusual sightings of various types. So we did fill up our petty report, and uh, we sent it to our district headquarters in New Orleans. Of course, it disappeared into the, uh, into the uh, black void. At this time, this was uh, when they had just uh, started coming out with the blue book, and uh, it did not make a blue book, and we had no further contact. The interesting thing is, or one of the interesting things was that exactly the same occurrence happened the evening after. They, they never complete on duty crew witness same episodes, basically. They, they in turn, filled out a penalty report, but uh, we did not receive any responses from the report that we submitted. It's a report, but 
we also called the uh, district office in New Orleans the second evening. Oh, and there was no feedback from that either? None whatsoever. That's interesting. Well, in 1966, people reporting UFO phenomenon, they were considered just, I mean, it, it was a subject of ridicule. And I want our listeners to remember, if you've done any research into UFOs and kind of over the history, yeah, it, to, to even put a report like that in, it would be the subject of ridicule. And, um, I mean, even now we have that. We've got guys and gals reporting that don't want their name disclosed because they're in aerospace or, or they're in the military. And and it's um, a real issue for them getting promoted and, and passed off for career hike or career advancement. And uh, just... General razzing, so that's pretty brave for you guys to put that out there. But then again, what choice did you have, right? We didn't want to have a choice. That's what our instructions and us to do. So we followed our directions. Interesting. All right, that was at the Aransas station. You were stationed at several different ports, were you not, on the Gulf Coast? I was stationed... Well, during a 23-year career, you're stationed quite a few places, but I initially started at uh, Coast Guard and Life Post Station, Port Isabel, Texas, at the very tip of Texas, where the real land separates Texas from New Mexico. And I also had a one-and-a-half-year stint at a small flight attendant station called Port Mansfield, Texas. Did you or your colleagues have experiences at, at other stations on the coast? Not at those stations. We had uh, we had no experiences. You say not at Did you have experiences at any of the others or when you were on board the uh, ships? I had an interesting situation a couple times at uh, one of the stations I was uh, assigned to the uh, U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Delegates out there to U.S. Florida, and our main purpose was search and rescue in the Atlantic off of Florida, as well as law enforcement. I was only ship about two years. And uh, basically, the area we covered was the Bermuda Triangle, mm-hmm. stretching from Key West to Bermuda, and down to Puerto uh, Rico, basically to the San Juan area. And on uh, on one patrol, we were normally there out for 14 to 21 days. One patrol in the early night, we were staying on. And we saw a light, basically like a flashlight beam, except uh, this particular light was probably 30 to 35 feet across, circular. And uh, we 
in that particular area of uh, the Gulf for very, very clear, beautiful water, but uh, extremely translucent. In many instances, we could see the bottom. It is, it is unbelievably clear in that area. Yes. When we look down, we could see the, the bottom of the ocean un, unbothered. It wasn't disturbed. It, and this light was just shining out of it, of a flashlight thing going directly into the air. As we got as close as we could to it, we tried to return what was causing it. We, we could see no indication of what created this light. And it seemed as though there was emanating from the bottom of the ocean into the sky. It was going way up. So we got off of it and we rushed it out. And we were moving around in the area. And our power, our engines, with all of our navigation on the stopped working, and our communication. So we were basically just drifting. This occurred for about maybe three minutes and then all of a sudden they all came back on simultaneously and we did not restart our, our power sources for any of that equipment but they all came back on so uh, we stayed in the area for quite a while just observing and um, they stayed there for a couple of hours as well and then it just went out, moved right out, like turning off the flashlight. You're not sure if this was submerged or if it was in the sky, or you believe it was submerged and it, it shot up the light in the sky. I'm, I'm trying to get a, wrap my brain around a visual of this. Well, from, from what we observed, there's absolutely no interruption to the bottom of the ocean. You can see the sand. Yes. The sand is clear and in place. So from the strength of the light in its beam, it seemed as though the light was most powerful coming out of the water going up. But we have uh, no indication of what happened. Uh, in that particular case, it would have been up to the captain to have submitted the Patty report. I don't know whether he did or not. And uh, there were other instances. I was on the vessel for two years or so. And there were other instances of the, uh, the same thing happening with our propulsion and our navigation and our communications. It was not an uncommon thing just to have it stop for a period of time, and then come back on without us pressing any buttons. Was it most often in relation to an unusual sighting? During that uh, entire time that I was aboard that vessel and sailing in the Bermuda Triangle area, we never saw a uh, aerial sighting that was not unidentified. But you would have that strange 
cutting on and cutting off of equipment. Yes. Cutting off and cutting on. Talk about places of high strangeness. That's certainly one of those places, isn't it? <laughs> the only thing that I could really connect it to would be uh, some type of uh, interference by bees, whatever that being would be. Well, that, that would make some sense. Were you aware of the, uh, the reputation or the stories about the Bermuda Triangle that you were in? Oh, yes. It was not openly discussed in an official manner. We were all very aware of the area. Can you tell us about the length of your of the cutter and how many how many you had on board, just to kind of get a feel for what a little dot you were out in the ocean? <laughs> it was basically at that time only a two-year-old cutter. It was a two hundred foot called a medium endurance cutter, where we could stay out for a period of uh, three weeks and more if necessary. That way we had uh, room for uh, foodstuffs and plenty of equipment. So um, we had this interesting one on the that was kind of a new experience. This was in witnesses that would have would have likely witnessed this this was not something that just one or two people saw yes it was very unusual anything that happens unusual at sea uh the same as we really like to see because some duty could be mundane and others could be other duty could be very interesting depending on the day and the situations that arise. What about some of your other stations? Give us more. You have more, I know. These are great. <laughs> <laughs> These are phenomenal stories. Actually, as far as UFOs or UAPs go, my other duty assignments were basically all over the world. I was a polar icebreaker, did many. Um, North Polar Bering Sea uh, patrols and uh, spent six months on an Antarctica trip. What's and, out there? Uh, <laughs> what's out there? What, what's out there other than researchers? <laughs> plenty of ice, a lot of penguins. Yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little fact a lot of people don't know is there are no penguins. In the Arctic Ocean in the north, and there are no polar bears in the Atlantic. Oh. This is <laughs> All right. 
But uh, I also spent the year, and it was a secret operation called Operation Typewind 2. Uh, that was in Southeast Asia. We were uh, in the uh, Jebel Mountains on the border of Thailand and Cambodia. We saw no UFO sightings there. And then uh, I had uh, two separate ship assignments out of uh, Seattle, Washington. Anything that you found interesting or out of the ordinary, I, that's I would, what we're about. I would like to know, do you, um, have you had any experience witnessing something that may be an unidentified submergible, which is what they're calling the, you know, the, the I think that's one reason why they named them UAPs is because one of the observables or one of the, the character traits of them is that they move through space, through atmosphere, and underwater with the same amount of agility and speed and velocity and rapid turn and all of that. Um, so I just didn't know what your experience or, or even just any thoughts and opinions you may have on anything like that. We've seen some video, but interesting videos from uh, the border, what was the Custom and Border Patrol agents out in Puerto Rico had recorded one. And then um, we've heard about them from Air Force pilots. Yes, they're, they're fairly commonly reported around Catalina Island off of Southern California. Yeah. Do you have any experience with those? And if not, do you have an opinion on what you think might be happening there or, or just any thoughts? Uh, personally, though, I, I think that uh, the initial period of visitations, shall we say, of these unexplained objects uh, could be connected to modern mankind, let's, let's call it, the, the uh, humans having uh, success in advancing on the planet and I personally, in my opinion, but I do believe that a lot of it uh, relates to Peru. I believe you know, Peru in South America um, had a lot of early visitations. Isn't that where yeah, the, the Nazca lines are and there's some pyramids there and some other things that are quite noteworthy? Um, and based on, like, the ancient aliens theory, yeah. And they have both the desert and uh, mountains. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, I believe that uh, a lot of our, our planet's initial visitations might have been in that area, as well as the uh, Gulf of Mexico, the surrounding areas of the Gulf. Well, you know, um, I'm the cryptologist on this team. <laughs> Cryptozoologist, <laughs> Cryptozoologist, yes. loosely. And I'm aware that you spent quite a bit of time in the, some of the national parks. Did you have any strange experience there? After uh, my retirement from the Coast Guard, at one point I 
located to uh, Northern California, and it is in the area of the uh, Lassen Volcanic National Park. So I made some contacts and friends out there and began working at the park uh, part-time in uh, 1993, and uh, it's a beautiful place, one of the most fantastic places I've ever visited. And uh, it was a pleasure working there. I became full-time as a ranger, and I worked there for 13 years, and so that was my, uh, my last retirement. But uh, it's still close, and uh, I still visit occasionally. We have the honor, um, my family and I have the honor of living in a valley, unfortunately, 50 miles from the park, and we don't live in uh, the snow at the level of the park. We can go up there when we desire and leave it back out in the snow. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful area. Trees, mountains, great funerals, anything you want. Uh, nice hiking in the summer and wonderful skiing in the winter. So I have a question. Are you familiar with the series Missing 411? It's a it's been a documentary series. They've I think aired three different documentary style films. I am not familiar with that. They are, uh, it's an investigative reporter who is, uh, who's the documentarian on these films, and he is putting a huge stake in the fact that some of these unexplained missing people's, missing persons cases that happen in our state and national parks may in fact be potentially people stepping through time warps or perhaps being abducted by UFOs or perhaps, you know, something similar to that. Because some of these people are disappearing and they're having their backpack show up on their brother's front porch and or they're finding, they're never finding their bodies. And they're just people that just wandered a few feet away um, sometimes they'll find their hiking boots, like, stacked, you know, I don't know, 10,000 foot above elevation on a mountaintop in the park that just makes no sense. Any thoughts on um, missing persons cases or any odd missing persons cases you might recall at the National Park there? There are quite a few uh missing person reports children. The only thing that I hope that I could comment on regarding that would be I hope they don't find Bigfoot. <laughs> he gets all the reps. Other <laughs> <laughs> than that, um, many entities are the occupants of all of these USOs and UAPs. They they have to have, or I would believe that they would have some type of uh, connection with that. I believe they're everywhere. It's, uh, 
I don't know if there's any walking around, like a lot of us, like people <laughs> say. But I, I am uh, a firm believer in expectations. Um, well, on that note, you're... You are not in and did not work at Mount Shasta, but you're geographically you're you're pretty close to it. Of course, there's all kinds of rumors and stories about Mount Shasta. Have you encountered we, stories there? I'm sure, but we just so happen to have uh, oh, in the proximity of Blessing and where I am located in the residence. Probably 50 miles away, we have a large array of radar sites. We have, we have a, I don't think I'm crazy right. We have a large field of sites that are picking up informational data, astronomical information data for scientists that is connected in some way to the Hubble telescope. Interesting. That could even be a, a magnet or a drawer for, for UFOs or UAPs. But as far as our particular area goes here in the uh, Sacramento Valley, northern Sacramento Valley, we have not had any aerial sightings that I can even recall. Well, that was very interesting. That was great. <laughs> that was such great information. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your day and uh, sharing that with our listeners because that's good stuff right there. Oh, yeah, from the the mouth of the person that witnessed it. Yeah. exciting. And on such a grand scale, that, that fishing boat story just captivates me every time I hear it. And I can just imagine those fishermen are probably still telling their grandchildren and great-grandchildren the stories they must have been terrified all right well we actually um funny story we lost him at at one point we called him back and we didn't get it recorded we are so gracious to our coast guard friend for coming on and sharing his stories his time and gosh what amazing amazing stories those were and um, some interesting thoughts as well from somebody who's a little more well-traveled than most of us are, at least a little more well-traveled than Mary Jo and I are. But uh, we want to thank you guys for tuning in. Mary Jo, do you have anything that you want to finish up with? I have a quote. Oh, you have a quote. Well, let's hear I it. I do. When you are in the dark and you don't see anything, something is looking at you seeing everything. Oh, that's not creepy at all. And not creepy at all. And that's attributed to Zach Bagan. We all know Zach, don't we? Zach who? Zach Bagan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. And as always, it's a great day to talk to the other side. Give some love by subscribing to our podcast to make sure you get your weekly paranormal fix. We are delighted that you have joined us today. There's plenty more stories and interviews to come. Remember, it is all a good day.